Um, thank you for reminding me. Uh, we're looking at Revelation chapter 21 and also chapter 22 uh, as, as we get into it. Um, there are many things uh, in Scripture that the Lord brings to our attention that he does not really go into great detail explaining. And this is one of the values in uh, paying attention very carefully to what God does to say because he wants us to think. He wants us to think. He wants us to study his word. And um, he's written the Bible the way he has written it uh, to draw us to himself because it's just something, I mean, think about it. If, if somebody's talking lighthearted, uh, you know, about things that are not very personal, uh, you can look around and you can do all kinds of things and it does not require uh, very much concentration. But I'm telling you, everything about God in this book is designed to reverse what happened in the Garden of Eden. And what happened in the Garden of Eden was Eve being deceived into thinking that she could go away from God and uh, um, <clears throat> live life without his guidance, without his wisdom. And, um, and so that resulted in the fall. And so there was this separation. So the whole Bible is written uh, to show us what God's uh, original will was and that is that we be one with him the best symbolism of that concept if we can think of it as a concept is uh, marriage marriage is an earthly type of what God originally intended and that's to love one another. Uh, to never leave one another, nor forsake one another. That's what marriage is really all about. And the covenant relationship that you enter into when you get married is, is, uh, is just an earthly type of what God originally intended for every one of us in his personal relationship with each and every one of us. And so, um, going back to the original remarks, when it comes to studying the Bible, it's talking about undivided attention, undivided attention. And that's what happens when you meditate upon the scriptures and you study the scriptures and so I think it's by design that the Lord would drop little hints here and there and not fully explain a lot of things but 
we could discover those things by very carefully studying the entire Bible and putting together the pieces in such a way that a picture forms. And that's what we're basically trying to do in our studies of what is meant by all of this. God is putting a picture in our mind that you'll never see by a casual reading of the Bible. Never will. And so some of the things that I'm teaching in these studies um, are not things that you're going to commonly find everywhere. Even in some of the books that are written on the book of the Revelation. Another thing that I've tried to emphasize to you is that the Bible is an unfolding revelation. And it makes all the sense in the world that we ought to be able to understand things uh, in the year 2023 that were not understood uh, in the 1960s and 70s and 80s. Um, I think it was Dr. M. R. DeHaan that, that, you know, first started talking about the rapture of the church and putting out books about the rapture of the church. He didn't read much about the rapture of the church uh, prior to that time in the way of books. If you go to the Christian bookstore or most any bookstore, and there are hundreds of books written on the rapture. Why? Because it's an, the Bible is an unfolding revelation, and today, in this age of technology, we can see um, prophecy being fulfilled that would not have been available to the human mind in the 1800s, for instance, the way it would be to ours today, such as Daniel's prophecy that in the last days, in the 12th chapter of Daniel, how that men would run to and fro in the earth and knowledge would increase. Well, we can identify with that. And as we've noted numbers of times in our studies, Revelation chapter uh, 11 was virtually impossible for somebody in the 1800s and early years of the 1900s to enter into to see how in the world that would be possible that two people would be in the streets of Jerusalem and the whole world be able to see them killed and the whole world throw a party over their death and after three days the whole world see them resurrected and caught up into heaven. Now folks, you, you do not have to study real hard to understand that in our day, right now, January 2023, it is no 
problem at all to understand how the whole world could see all of those events. I've shown you this before, but on my cell phone, there's an app called Google Earth, and you can right now sit there in your seat if you've got a good phone, one of the more current ones, and you put that app in it, and you can go to any spot on the face of the earth and magnify that spot to the point that you can see cars sitting on the streets. Now, I don't know how uh, time-wise with the app that I've got, uh, how many hours away that particular image was made available on the satellite. But I can tell you right now, they've got the capability right now of showing you in real time anything that is going on on the whole earth. And they can magnify it down to where they can read the numbers on a license plate. Now this has happened in our lifetime. But it had to happen uh, for us to see the truth of God's word. He said that it was going to be that way 2,000 years ago. This is a book of prophecy. And um, no one could see it prior to our day, but we can certainly see it now, and it makes all the sense in the world. So, in Revelation 21, um, I'd like to go back to the first thought in this 21st chapter. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And in our studies, uh, in weeks past, we have made mention of the fact that when God created the heavens and the earth the first time, it was his will that it would be perfect forever. Perfect. Without any sin, without any sickness or disease of any kind, Without thorns, everything that we see in the world today and experience in the world today in the way of suffering was non-existent and was never in the mind of God in terms of his eternal will for man. And so when we get into the book of the Revelation and we read the last chapters in terms of God creating the new heavens and a new earth, he's really showing us that he is very capable of making his will be done. And that's how we need to think about it. We need to see the, the infinite wisdom of God, the infinite power of God, 
He wants us to enter into the glory of his creatorial power as the creator. And I pointed out to you that one of the things that's really exciting to me as I think about it is that we are going to be able to behold the Lord do it. Because we're going to be alive. We're going to be in his presence. He said he would never leave us nor forsake us. Listen, when the Lord takes us out of here, we're going to be with him. And we'll never be separated from him again. And so... That being the case, just follow the logic. The Bible doesn't say anywhere in it that we're going to see him create the new heaven and the new earth. But follow the logic. It's impossible for that not to be true. The Lord is not going to put us to sleep and say, y'all go to bed while I got something to do. There ain't going to be anything like that. We are going to be with him. And we're going to see him with our eyes speak and create a new heaven and a new earth. That to me is exciting. Those are exciting thoughts to me. I don't know how it affects you. But I'll tell you this. I haven't always been able to say what I just said. A couple of years ago, I could not have said what I just said because I'd never thought about it before. And so why did I think about it? Because at the end of last year, I was studying the Scripture. And all of a sudden, boom, there it was. And I don't see how anybody can say that's not true. And the Bible doesn't say what I said, but it logically follows. And I don't see how anybody could logically say that's not true. And so what is the value then in even saying it? Well, the value is I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to seeing God manifest the glory of his wisdom and power. And we're going to see it in the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. And we're also going to see that when it comes to the will of God, how important it is to him. And the question is, can anything, is there any intelligence or power in the universe that can prevent his will being done? Well, I think it's inseparable from his person to even suggest the thought that uh, anything could happen that would hinder the will of God. What does it mean to be God? What does it mean to want something when you're God? Can anything prevent what he wants? And the answer is no, not ultimately. But of course, when it comes to the human will, 
there was something that he wanted. And it broke his heart that he couldn't get it. But I'll tell you this. Uh, it's not going to prevent his will being done in terms of wanting to enlarge his family. But he created us in his image with a free will. And a free will is a free will. And we're free to do what Eve did. We're free to do what Adam did. We're free to walk away from God. And uh, as Frank Sinatra sang, I did it my way. And the people who die with that philosophy of life burn in hell forever. That's exactly right. The most wonderful thing in the world is coming to the end of yourself, realizing that there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof the ways of death. And coming to ourself as the prodigal son did, and returning to our father, and embracing his will, <clears throat> and doing exactly what he taught the disciples in in Luke chapter 11, in the first few verses, if you turn to that at some point, you can see it. But the disciples came to him and said, teach us to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you see, this is the desire of the genuine believer in reversing what happened in the Garden of Eden. And so God is going to have his will done because there are those that have come to an understanding of the message of this book and with their own free will have reversed their mistake in turning away from God. And so this has happened to me. This has happened to you, I trust. And uh, now we are a part of God's original will. But he's not through with his... Uh, perfecting plan because we're going to have to go through this process of, of dying because we deserve to. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And the wages of sin is death. And it's appointed that a man wants to die. And then the judgment. And we're all going to die. And so the question is, is God wise enough and powerful enough to raise us from the dead after we've disintegrated back into the dirt into a molecular level and then raise us from the dead and breathe into us the breath of life 
and give us everlasting life with a free will that will never for all eternity to come sin against the will of God. Can he do that? Well, that's exactly the message of the Bible. And it's what's called the gospel. That is the good news. The good news. And so I get really excited about reading these passages in the book of the Revelation. And these are things that God reserved for the Apostle John to reveal to the world. We mentioned this the other day. I don't want to belabor it, but um, I think that it's insight into why Paul, when he was stoned to death in uh, Lystra, he was taken up, he said, into heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, he said he didn't know. But he saw things that were not lawful for him to talk about in his unfolding revelation because he revealed mysteries that were hidden in ages past. And I believe what he was talking about was he saw things concerning the future. Maybe he even saw the new Jerusalem. I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised because that's what we're reading about here is the new Jerusalem. The Lord told the disciples before he went to the cross, he said, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I prepare a place for you, I'm going to come for you again so that you can be where I am. And that's what he said. And so Paul probably saw a lot of what God had prepared, but it was not going to be for Paul to reveal those things. It was going to be for John, the Apostle John. And so here we are 2,000 years later, and we're reading these things, and I believe that God, because of the unfolding revelation of God in the real world, in the form of evidence, evidence, because this is, the, this is such a key point when it comes to the Christian faith, is understanding the connectivity between the Word of God in prophecy and the outworking of it in the real world in the form of evidence. And so we ought to be able to see Things with our eyes right now going on that indicate a fulfillment of what God promised 2,000 years ago when there was no evidence for it whatsoever. None. And so this right here, part of it. We can see it. The technology is here. And no one had a clue that we would have this kind of technology available to us in our day. And they didn't, even when I was a boy, when I was born some 78 years ago, it was unthinkable 
Folks, let me tell you, again, I, I know I repeat myself a lot, but listen, I can remember when there were no televisions. I can remember when most people did not have indoor plumbing, and we didn't. I can remember when we had an outhouse. I can remember when no one had toilet paper. They didn't have it. If it did, it was only for the rich. No air conditioners. In the churches, we had screens on the windows, and we lifted the windows up in the summertime, and that's how we stayed cool. And everybody sat in the church with a fan, and they handed them out. The ushers handed them out with a fan. I'll never forget my dad, when I was just a little tiny thing, picking me up and sitting me on the back of the mule that he came out of the field plowing with. Because he plowed with a mule. And when I was a boy, I worked with mules, cropping tobacco. Mules. You don't see that anywhere today. Anywhere. My, have things changed? And so all of these things that I'm mentioning have become real-world evidence of God's word when there was no evidence. But God has provided evidence for every generation. And he provided it for Luke, who wrote Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. After his passion in their day, when he was crucified, for 40 days he showed himself alive. By many infallible proofs. And John said that which we have seen with our eyes and our hands have handled of the word of life. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Now Luke did not see tractors and jet planes and computers. And they had no knowledge whatsoever of satellites. But you cannot understand this book apart from that technology. But it's here today, and we can see it, and we can handle it. And it's evidence for the faith. Now... That's exciting to me. I get excited studying the Bible. And I continually look around myself at the fulfillment of these words. And I get excited about the fact that God's will is going to be done. And when he says, I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and the first thought that comes to my mind 
is I am so glad that I know the true and living God and his power to let nothing get in the way of his will. Now, we as parents would give so much if we could have children and see them grow up <coughs> and never see them cry. Never have to take them to the hospital. They never have a coughing spell. We don't have to worry about them going out and playing because of dangers out there. Even if it was on the Amazon. Can you imagine <coughs> living in a world that's perfect? What's wrong with that? Wouldn't we all love to have a world that's perfect? Where there's no crying, there's no, no tears, no suffering, no sorrow, no death. No one ever dies. You don't have a funeral. There's no such thing. It's not even going to come to mind. There's going to be no memory whatsoever. Of any of these things. It's in the book. It's right here. Verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. Do we believe that? Now, it's these kinds of statements, along with some of the other passages that I have sort of led us off into some thinking that uh, you will find yourself just naturally resisting because we've never experienced a world like that. We've never experienced our relationship with God like that. We never have. And so what are the implications of not remembering the past? And I'm telling you that I think that what I'm fixing to say and remind us again of is something of the magnitude and magnitude and volume of what is meant when Paul wrote the Hebrews and spoke about so great salvation, so great salvation. Is God able to create a new heaven and a new earth with his enlarged family of those that have trusted in him? Can he actually raise us up and all things be really new so that there's no memory of the past and our sin and what we did when we lived a selfish, 
sinful life. And we're technically guilty of the massacre of the Savior of the world. And I use that word massacre because that's what it was. It was a massacre. His back was beaten like a plowed field. His visage so marred more than that of any man. And you, you think that the so great salvation is going to deliver us from the memory of that? I do. I do. When God created Adam, such thoughts never even entered his mind. Neither did it with the angels. As I told you in the last class, I think it was, the cross of Calvary had nothing to do with the angels. Nothing whatsoever. The message of salvation, the message of the gospel has absolutely nothing to do with the angels. That's already settled. Those that did not sin never will. Those that did are going to the lake of fire to burn forever. There is no redemption for them. And the reason is because they were not created the way we are in darkness and in ignorance. They were created in the light. And they knew exactly what they were doing and they rebelled against God. And they fixed their eternity forever because of that. But you see, this is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And when we're born into this world, God begins to illumine our minds to the point that we can take that free will and decide, okay, are we going to believe that light? Or are we going to be satisfied with going off our own way to have our own paradise without God. And that's where the gospel or the message of the cross enters in. We have the opportunity to be saved. The angels don't. But the Lord is the one that said it. In the new heaven and new earth, there's not going to be marriage. We're going to be like the angels. And when you go back to the original will of God, he didn't want us to live eternally. He didn't want Adam to live forever with what eventually happened after Adam and Eve sinned. He didn't want them to live forever with that on their mind. And so the question is, is God able in this new heaven and new earth to recreate us from the dead with no memory whatsoever of the past? And I say that's what the Bible teaches. And you're going to have to rewrite the Bible to say that's not true. Because it's in the book. And we looked at the passages. 
Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 16. That coffin would not be remembered. That's the death of Christ. It would not be remembered. It would not come to mind anymore. God himself said, I'll remember your sin no more. I'm not going to remember any of that anymore. I am not going to remember that anymore. And Isaiah 54, I'll tell you, it's just as plain as it can be in black and white print for everybody to read. He looks at his wife, Israel, that killed him and reversed what happened because of what he would do for her. And he said, I'm going to view you as a, as a woman that was forsaken. Not you forsaking me, but me forsaking you because I'm going to take your sin of forsaking me on myself. I'm going to die in your place and I'm going to make you innocent of your crime. That's exactly what it teaches. Is the so great salvation that great? Absolutely. It certainly is. And I believe with, until somebody can show me different, and I, I put that limitation on it. I believe if you follow the consistency of what God has said in his word, the so great salvation is not going to be a bloodless Jesus Christ. That's going to be our husband for all eternity with no blood in his veins. Because the life of the flesh is in the blood. He's the one that said it. I didn't. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and that's including him. And he said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I believe the so great salvation we're going to experience is being in the presence of Jesus Christ. He's going to have blood flowing in his, hand, in his uh, body. And I don't believe those scars are going to be there. And I don't believe there'll be a remembrance of the past at all. And he's the one that said it. I didn't. He did it. He said it. Now, if a person could show me in Scripture that that's not true, I would apologize for it and correct myself because I don't want to stand up here and tell you something that's not biblical. Some might say, well, what do you do about the everlasting covenant? Well, you have to understand what an everlasting covenant really is. It's something that happened that has an everlasting result. And the focus is on the result. Not on everything that led up to it. It's the result. 
And this is the result of the everlasting covenant. When it comes to the word of God being eternally settled in heaven, and when it comes to the Bible, which has to do with all of the things that we read in the Bible today, I would suggest to you that in the new heaven and the new earth, what is eternally settled in heaven is the person of Jesus Christ, and he is the word of God, eternally settled in heaven. Think about it, what I'm telling you. And he said, I'll not remember it anymore. Do you reckon the so great salvation would be such that we'll never, ever even think about the past anymore and the sufferings of Christ? Is God wise enough and powerful enough to do this and provide us that so great salvation? that we would actually be able to enter into his original will where there would never be a tear, never be a sin of any kind. I believe that the so great salvation is such that it will be absolutely impossible to remember anything in the past that could cause our heart to be broken. Our heart will never be broken again. Never. The idea of conversion is going to be far from our minds because we will be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And perfect love casteth out fear. There will never be fear, ever. No fear any more than Jesus Christ fears the Father. Could it be that we'll have that so great salvation? I think so. Now, in contrast to this, I'd like for you to turn with me to Luke chapter 16. I want to show you something. I want you to follow the logic. There was Lazarus and the rich man that died. It starts talking about it in the 19th verse of Luke chapter 16. And there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. I wonder why it says fine linen there. You remember what I told you about fine linen the other day? The contrast between fine linen and the sheepskin? The sheepskin carries the idea of blood. And fine linen doesn't carry the idea of blood at all. Because that's the new heaven and new earth. Where God is going to clothe us in his righteousness. And blood is not associated with it at all very important to pay attention to those kind of things but you see this this rich man was clothed in fine linen why 
because he had cloaked himself in his own self-righteousness and he didn't see himself as a sinner. That's why. It's like a lot of churches right now today that are bloodless in the preaching. We haven't committed a crime. We're not, we're not the ones that crucified the Lord. That was 2,000 years ago, and we weren't there. We weren't even born. That's not what the Bible teaches. Verse 20, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Now I want you to pay attention to this. Um, when you die, will you still recognize people in that future day? And... The answer is, yes, we will, absolutely. They knew one another. Verse 23, and in hell, this rich man lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. He recognized them. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, right here, before I go any further, I want to show you a contrast between this and Revelation uh, 22, where it talks about a river of water of life, clear as crystal, and how it went out from the throne. But I want you to notice the contrast here no water, no river of water. Not even a drop. Because that's all he wanted in hell. All he wanted was one drop. He didn't get it. He never did. But I wanted to draw your attention to verse 25. <clears throat> and Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things and likewise Lazarus, evil things. And now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Draw a circle around the word remember. Because in the new heaven and the new earth, we will not remember. We will not remember the past. The damned will. They're going to remember for all eternity to come the opportunities that they had to be saved. And they turned away with their own free will. They turned away, and they're going to remember. 
And God is not going to do to their mind what he does to ours. He takes away everything that's ugly. Everything that we ever did against him is gone forever. And he said, I'll never remember it again. But those that lose their soul forever, they're going to remember it. And those that lose their soul forever are going to thirst forever. And those that did not want to be with him and never leave him or forsake him are going to be given exactly what they wanted. To go their own way to be alone with the main thing that they loved for all eternity to come. And that is themselves. They worshiped themselves. They wanted to be God. And God is going to let them do it. In hell, without him being whatever kind of God they can make themselves into. Because that's what the people of this world are doing right now today. They're trying to be their own God. And they're trying to convert God into being somebody that approves of their lifestyle and exists to do nothing but give them what they want. If they get in trouble, he exists to do nothing but provide an answer to their will being done. Because that's all they care about, is their will being done. But when you get saved, the Lord taught his disciples, pray, thy will be done on earth, in me, as it is in heaven. And so when you think about Luke chapter 11, I'm jumping over from the 16th chapter now to Luke chapter 11 where God is going to reverse everything that happened in the Garden of Eden chapter 3 where the separation took place. He teaches the disciples um, I want you to reverse what happened because I left the earth because y'all didn't want me. And I went back up into heaven. I used to be on earth, but I went back to heaven. And from Genesis all the way through until 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, who is God, stayed in heaven. And he came down to earth because his ultimate will is to be on earth. That's his design. This is where God wants to dwell, is on earth. And he says, I'm going to teach you to pray, and here's what I want you to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come is what this means in Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, look, look at this, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down. Coming down from God. Out of where? Heaven. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is, the, this is the answer that God was giving the disciples. He said, I want you to pray for this. I want you to pray for Revelation 21 and verse 2. That heaven would come down to earth. So that heaven and earth are one. So that I am one with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. My purpose is to dwell on earth for all eternity to come. That is the will of God. And his will is going to be done. Well, I want to take you to 1 John chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Because if you'll make a little note to do that. And go ahead and read it. You'll be ahead of things. 1 John chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Because that is the same thing. It's heaven and earth being one. That's what it's talking about. And that's what John, who wrote the Revelation, is saying in so many words in 1 John uh, chapter 5. Verses 7 and 8. Well, our time is gone. I, I hope I haven't confused us all, but anyway. Uh, Benny, dismiss us, brother. <laughs>